This podcast includes information provided by the issuer and does not express the views of the interviewer. This podcast may also include forward-looking statements by the issuer that involve certain risks and uncertainties to its business. Because forward-looking statements are subject to risks and uncertainties, the issuer's actual results could differ from those indicated in this podcast. Welcome, everybody, to the SNN Network Virtual Conference. I'm your host, Robert Kraft, and this is a a very special panel of mine because um, this happens to be my Planet Microcap podcast panel. It's a virtual edition panel again, and uh, as you can tell here, we have an incredible lineup to uh, uh, join me here for for this podcast. Um, I'm going to go top left all the way around. In my top left, we have Maya Peterson. She is the author of Lighthouse Women Leading the Way in Finance. And direct diagonal from me is uh, Lauren Templeton. She is the founder and principal of Templeton and Phillips Capital Management. And then just below me right here is Perth Toll. She is the founder of Life and Liberty Indexes. Everyone, thank you for joining me on the podcast today. How's everyone doing? Great. Good. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Absolutely. And I just want to preface uh, right now, uh, Perth is in the middle of a hurricane. Everything's okay, but we're going to be dealing with some zoominess for this. So uh, <laughs> I, I ask uh, everyone bear with us there, but uh, we're, we're very thankful that uh, she's joining us and we'll, we'll get through the, the tech, all the tech stuff. Um, so, Thank you. Yeah, so I'd like to dig right in uh, um, and, and really ask everyone's background and what led to your passion for finance and investing. So I think we're going to start first with Lauren because she has not been on an individual episode of the podcast yet. So we're going to start with Lauren and then I'll, uh, I'll throw it to each person from there. So uh, Lauren, floor is yours. Yeah, sure. My name is um, Lauren Templeton. I run a firm called Templeton and Phillips Capital Management. I obviously grew up in the investment industry. My great uncle was Sir John Templeton. Um, His career was really hitting its stride in the 80s when I was a child. Um, My father was very passionate about investing. Um, I think a lot of people out there have heard me tell the story that my dad wanted me to start picking stocks when I was about seven years old. He allowed me to pick one stock per month. He would buy a share of any company that I wanted and he would take the stock certificates and mat them and frame them and hang them on the walls of my room. So when I was growing up, my room was literally wallpapered in stock certificates. He was such a passionate investor that he took every opportunity to um, teach me about opportunity cost. Um, He would put me to bed with stories about the magic of compounding. So I have grown up with parents and a family that were, everybody was very passionate about investing and I knew that um, this is something I would pursue as a career. I like looking at Perth's cat in the background. <laughs> I'm trying to get her off here, sorry. She's precious, flavor. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> quick, oh, real, man. Real, real quick follow up there because actually my, my dad, my family has been, a, they're collect, we're collectors of stock certificates because they're so cool. Looking at especially some of the older ones, like the Disney one and all that, full disclosure, not a shareholder. Uh, but I, I don't know if you've ever been asked this question. I have to ask, what was your favorite stock certificate? Just the certificate, not stock, the certificate that you had on your wall. 
Oh, that's a good question. I don't know that I had a favorite certificate. My favorite share to own was Shoney's because at the time it was trading for cents on the dollar. But if you owned one share, they would give you an annual gift certificate for a free meal at Shoney's. So the dividend <laughs> yield on that, that puppy was huge. <laughs> um, but, you know, the stock certificates were interesting and I, I like it because it really um, make, it gives you a sense of ownership in a company. So instead of it feeling like gambling or the stock market was a, a casino where I was just guessing, um, you know, I felt like these are businesses, this represents my share of ownership in these businesses, and it gives you a different perspective. But it, um, it was fun. I need to get up in the attic and go through um, the old stock certificates. I still own a lot of those companies, and um, I don't know how many shares of Walmart it's worth now, but, you know lots because the stock is split so many times and I still have the original certificates because they were matted and framed. A few of them are bankrupt and those are the ones that I'm most interested in getting out and hanging on the wall of my office because you learn more from your mistakes than you do your successes. It's always good That's to have um, some reminders around that no matter how careful you are, you can always miss something. That I can't wait to, to hear more about those stories and uh, I'll, I'll bring that up with you later. But um, I also want to now throw to Maya to get her background and what led to her passion for finance and investing. And uh, we're, our intention with this answer right now is to make you feel really bad that you haven't <laughs> written two books by the time you're 17. So Maya, please make everybody feel bad now. Um, I really got started investing because of Lauren. I heard all of the stories about her as a child and I thought like, oh, if she can do this, I can do this. And I was so inspired. Um, and the one that I specifically remember was the one about when she went to Walmart and saw that the bathrooms were dirty. So she wrote the letter to Sam Walton, the CEO at that time, um, and said like, you need to fix those bathrooms. I'm a shareholder. Um, this isn't the company I want to see. Um, and that she felt so much power at a young age and I felt like I could have that ability too at such a young age. I didn't pay rent, I didn't have a car. Um, I probably wasn't even allowed to bike around the block by myself, but to be able to own um, shares in a company felt super powerful to me. Um, so I just started reading and having a passion for business and I started a little camp called Camp Kids. Uh, that was just meant to maximize profits by having multiple kids there. Um, so I just learned how a business worked. And after learning about Lauren, I wanted to get into investing. Um, and from there, I just thought that I wanted to share more and um, to spread more joy with investing and kind of break down those barriers that young people can feel. Um, and so I wrote my first book, Early Bird, and then I was so inspired by Lauren, by Perth, by so many other people. And I know that this is a question later, which led me to my next book, Lighthouse. Yes. <laughs> shameless oh. plug. Sh yep. Yeah. We're, doing, we're doing shameless book, book plug. One. Book two. Yeah. Hers, hers is, Perth's the right mirror. My, I hope it's, it's Lighthouse, but okay. It, you, I think everyone get, gets that, but, uh, but, um, Thank you for that, Maya. So now, Perth, our global markets expert running life and liberty indexes, can you give us a, a little bit about your background and, and what led to your passion for finance and investing? 
Yeah, and as Maya knows um, from interviewing me for her second book, um, which I'm so honored about, um, I was originally not interested in finance. I, I did go into college majoring in finance, but only because um, that's something that my you know family did. Uh, but I was more interested in uh, art and graphic design. I actually went to, to art school um, before graduating with the finance degree and, uh, you know, in art school figured out that, hey, this is not something that I'm that great at compared to everyone else. <laughs> so um, maybe this is not my career. And then after college went and lived in Hong Kong where everybody was in finance. I saw um, that with, uh, with, with the power to direct um, investments, you have a lot of power to direct um, the destiny of markets. And um, I, I saw the, I started having a passion for it um, at that time. So it was my time in Hong Kong, you know, where I saw the difference that freedom made in markets, the difference that freedom made in my life um, in the markets of U.S. versus Hong Kong versus China, um, that I that I got more of a passion for investing. Absolutely. And actually, I'm going to throw it right back to you, Perth, because this this kind of goes into our next question. And that's your your investing philosophy that you most identify with. And you kind of created one for yourself with the, in, with, with, with the life and liberty indexes, you know, and, and really barring a few different strategies and, and then putting it all together. So can you describe the index a little bit and, and then your little bit about your strategy as well? Sure. So our index is a freedom weighted emerging markets equity strategy. And what we do is we give freer countries a higher weight, uh, less free countries, a lower weight, and the worst offenders as far as human rights and economic freedoms are excluded from our index just naturally because of the freedom weighting. Um, this is different from most indexes, which are market capitalization weighted and um, in emerging markets. And I do believe in indexing very much. Um, it's just that in emerging markets, the way that we've traditionally done it has led to this giant um, weight in China, which, you know, it's most emerging markets indexes have 40% of their weight in China now. And um, that's just not diversified. It's a, a huge concentration risk, especially in a market like that. Um, also has allocations to Saudi Arabia, Russia, and some just other very unfree markets. So that's why we created the freedom weighted strategy, the freedom 100 emerging markets um, index um, to kind of give investors an option to invest in the emerging markets without these very autocratic regimes um, so that we're not funding some of these atrocities that are going on. Absolutely. Absolutely. I invite everybody to go check it out. She, she breaks down the full strategy of then what companies within each, um, uh, uh, within each nation that they then do invest in, right? Like you, it's some, some of the larger cap names in, in, in yeah. that country and then, and then go, going from there, right? Right. We basically are trying to capture a, a good representation of the market um, through the largest holdings you know, in, in each market, the largest, most liquid, and exclude state-owned enterprises just to bring the economic freedom theme all the way through. Got it. And then Lauren, same question. Uh, please tell us about your uh, life and liberty indexes that you've started. I'm just kidding. What, <laughs> what, what, what investing philosophy do, do you most identify with? And then you know, your investing strategy from there. Yeah, we're global investing with um, sort of a, you know, global value investing. I grew up in, in that, um, exercising that discipline. So we start with quantitative screens and narrow it down to the bottom decile of the market. 
and there we're, we're really hunting for quality firms that are, their share price may be depressed for a variety of reasons. It could be that they're in a certain country or that they're in a certain industry, but we're looking for anomalies. So companies that have fallen into the bottom decile, they're you know, largely quality firms, but they have depressed stock prices for a variety of reasons. And so we, we do quantitative screening, then we do qualitative analysis on top of that. We're often, often using a discounted cash flow model to model out the company's fair value off over various scenarios. And we like to buy when we have 50% upside to our approximation of intrinsic value, which is a bit of a wider margin than a lot of value managers look for. But um, like a typical woman in uh, finance, we have, tend to have a little bit less self-confidence than the men. So I like to have that wider margin. And I think it works in our favor a lot of the times. So, um, you know, typical value managers with a, um, you know, with a preference for quality. We like strong balance sheets. Um, so it's really important in this environment as well. So quick follow-up. Would you say that your strategy and your philosophy has changed much since you were seven years old? Yeah, for sure. You know, <laughs> as a seven-year-old, you know, you're picking whatever is popular. So, you know, some of my stock picks as a seven-year-old were The Gap, Disney, Shoney's, I like to eat there. So, and that's the same way I'm, I'm dealing with my children. So they're allowed to pick stocks and they're often picking, picking very familiar names. I don't attempt to have a discussion with them about valuation. Um, we do talk about, you know, okay, will you like Disney? What do you like about Disney? Do you think the company will make a lot of money from that movie? Um, how do you think it will affect the business? What percentage of the revenue of the company's total revenue is that? So conversations like that, I keep it small so it's not so intimidating. I think it's really important, firstly, to expose your children to just the vocabulary that comes along with investing without putting too much pressure on them. I mean, you can't really, seven-year-olds, maybe not Maya, <laughs> but other seven-year-olds have a hard time with discounted cash flow models. And, you know, if you start talking about quantitative metrics, it's not a good approach. I, I still have issues with discounted cash flow models, so I can only imagine... <laughs> You know, that, that your children get a pass. I shouldn't get a pass, you know, but uh, Listen, Maya might be able to do it. I had her um, <laughs> present to a room full of like 300 expert value investors in Omaha one year when she was a young girl and she stood up in front of everybody and presented uh, J&J. So I yeah. wanted her to have that experience and what nice. it was like to stand up in front of an audience and present. She did a great job. And her thesis, as I remember, had something to do with toe tape because you were really into oh. ballet at the time. Yeah. Um, so it's, you know, you've got to work with kids in a totally different way. It's just, there's, there's so much value in every single perspective, no matter how young, old, gender, everything, you know, like that you want to get those variety of perspectives because things might get uncovered that you never thought to look at. And that's what might ultimately be the, the main growth driver. You never know. You never really That's know. True. Everybody yeah. can have a good idea. So, mm -hmm. except me, but that's, uh, <laughs> but that's why I host a podcast because I had terrible 
ideas. And I just want to learn from the best, but I, di I digress again. Uh, Maya, same question. You know, what, what, what's your investing philosophy? And, and, and then, of course, your strategy. So I'm a high school student. I'm not a professional like Lauren or Perth. Um, so I really, I just enjoy researching and I, it's defensive in value. I have a really long future ahead of me, hopefully. Um, and so I am just investing for the long term and in companies um, that I know well. Uh, like Lauren was explaining with the brands that are kind of popular and you know, I started out um, investing in companies that I would know better like Disney's, um, Mattel, Hasbro, um, to Mattel and Hasbro, which I'm still shareholders of today. Um, but so now I'm kind of just researching and figuring out what companies I want to look at now. But like I said, I'm not a professional. I'm just really enjoying learning. Um, and I enjoy attending annual meetings. And I feel like I just, I, I like absorbing all of the information. Yeah. Well, I mean, look, how you have found, how you find time to actually do investing uh, between writing two books and going to school, I, I think everyone's going to give you a pass if you don't have a new idea every week or, or anything like that. But, you know, as we said, perfect segue, because my next question has to do with Lighthouse. And it's a Maya inspired question. And we're going to go right back to you, Maya, because you inspired this question. So I have to ask, who is your Lighthouse and, and how have they inspired you to, to be the investor you are today? I've had so many that I've had to write a book about it. Um, so of course, Lauren and Perth are both lighthouses to me. Lauren has helped me so much. I was going to use the example of coming to going um, to speak to the Value Investor Conference because there, that was the first time I was called the most powerful woman or person in the room because I was the youngest and had the most time. Um, and it just made me feel so empowered and like I could do anything. And then of course, Perth has just so much tenacity to start her fund from scratch um, and to go from art school to this and just taking a chance and having the confidence in herself. And um, to do that was super inspiring to learn. Of course, there's lots of other women in that book and my parents have been lighthouses. And I just think a lot of people who have um, had the confidence in me and who have helped me and um, with my books, I've had a lot of professionals like Todd Wenning, who's gone through and edited and helped me come up with ideas and supported me. And I really think that um, I wrote those books more as a learning mechanism for myself than a teaching mechanism for other people. And that um, I was able to learn a lot with all of the people like Lauren, like Todd, like Perth, who have helped me along the way. And I'm very grateful for that. And I mean, I probably should have prefaced this. I should ask this first before that. Can you explain to everybody exactly what what you mean by lighthouses? Oh, lighthouses are guiding figures in your life. They're like a lighthouse. They shine a light so you can see the path in front of you. And for some people, that's people who have walked the path before and that you can find inspiration from. When I was younger, I had a board of female CFOs in my room um, and I highlighted where they went to college, where they went to high school, what they majored in, what their first jobs were. So then I knew exactly what my path would be so I could be a CFO. And so for me at that time, those were my lighthouses. Um, but for some people, if you're going through a hard time, lacking confidence, and you find somebody who embodies that, that can be your lighthouse. So it's really individualized for whatever people need at that time in their life. And there's more than one because when you're a boat going along the coast, you go from lighthouse to lighthouse to get to your destination, right? That's amazing. All right, quick follow up. What did the board look like of CFOs? I mean, did you have the picture? 
And then, like, I mean, I, yeah, I'm trying was, to visualize what that what that looked like. It was a Re little very cool. whiteboard that I taped photos of all of the female CFOs of the cool. Fortune 500 companies, and then I had their bios, and then I color coded, um, uh, highlighted everything, so that I knew, and then I would make a spreadsheet, so then I could figure out. Most people majored in accounting. Most people, whatever it was, yeah. Brilliant. I'm stealing that from my daughter. I'm stealing that from my daughter. Um, <laughs> So, so Lauren, same question. Who is your lighthouse and, and inspired you to be an investor? You already kind of alluded to it a little bit being part of the, the Templeton family tradition, but you know, I'd love to hear more about that. You know, obviously my, my great uncle, Sir John influenced me in so many ways and continues to do so. Like I am rereading, um, one of his books right now called The Worldwide Laws of Life. Um, I've read it before. I try to go back and read it every few years. It just has some good guiding principles about how to live a quality life. Um, and he spent a lot of time thinking about these issues as well as writing about them. I have you know, books of his old letters here. I'll show you where I spend my time. Like These are all of his letters from the 1940s through the 1960s. I'll read them, reread them a lot because they're full of wisdom. Um, and they're really applicable to today's markets and to different life events um, today. And then my father um, is a huge lighthouse for me. I really admire him in so many ways. I never really um, thought that there was anything special about the way he raised me. I think, you know, I'm his only daughter. So he didn't have a son and I did everything with him. I've raced cars with him. You know, I've, I've gone rock climbing with him. I was just along for the ride. Um, and now as an older person, I, I do reflect back on that and think, well, you know, that, that was a little different. Not every little girl gets to do those things with their father. And he just inspires me in many ways. He's always said, go for it. Don't worry about making mistakes. You'll learn a lot when you do make a mistake. Um, pick yourself up, dust yourself off, get back on the horse. And um, he's inspired me just in so many ways. He is a professional investor in that he does it for a living, <laughs> but he doesn't you know, work for a big company. He's self-taught and he's been extremely successful. He reads almost every book he can find on investing. He's meticulous in his note-taking and uh, he shares these lessons with me still today. Um, so Uncle John and my dad have been the two big lighthouses in my life. But like Maya said, there's so many others. I mean, Maya, you're a lighthouse to me. So it's a true inspiration. Um, you know, Maya says I've made this huge impact on her, but I, I really haven't. I've done very little for her. It's really all been Maya. She's done it all. Um, and you just really inspire me. I use you as an example with my children and they get a little tired of that. And they're jealous of you sometimes. Oh. <laughs> um, but, you know, in Perth, I'm so excited to learn about what you're doing. Um, you know, freedom and human flourishing. This is such an important thing. And, and people don't realize how, how important freedom is and economic freedom to investing and investing returns and how it all goes together. So the Templeton Foundation is super involved in, in freedom and you know uncle john obviously had his career in investing and people often say how did those two things go together and I, quite simply <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they, they, they are very directly related 
Um, so I think what you're doing is just a, it's a true inspiration to everybody and I can't oh, wait to thank you. learn even more. <laughs> thank oh, wow. you. That means a lot coming from you because Sir John is, I, I, I think, most people's heroes in this, in emerging markets investing. So uh, thank you for that. <laughs> yep. Well, I, I think that's actually a perfect segue, Perth, to, to your lighthouse, you know, and, and who inspired you to not only be an investor, but also inspired, you know, launching Life and Liberty Indexes. Yeah, so, um, you know, like I just mentioned, you know, there are, we all have our investing heroes like Sir John Templeton. And, you know, for me, Rob Arnott was one of them because he, he um, was the first to do non-cap-weighted indexing and make it a, you know, mainstream thing. Um, and he's actually one of our one of our partners and investors as well. So um, we're, we're so proud about that. Um, but the the people that continue to inspire me every day are the the freedom fighters around the world, the the human rights activists, um, especially some some like in Hong Kong, for example, the the kids that are risking their lives and futures every day for freedom um, and better future for the future of, of their country and their homeland. Um, these are the people that inspire me to keep doing what I'm doing because, um, you know, a lot of times, you know, we feel like as freedom investors, we're not in environments every day where, where we are as appreciated as, as we are here today. Um, so it's a, it's a new concept for Wall Street. And I think um, a, lot of, a lot of us in the finance industry have been focused on short-term returns. We're not really worried about things like, uh, you know, human rights, uh, for example. So, um, so it is a new strategy and, and just seeing that these people are around the world fighting for this every day, um, regardless of outcome, just because it's the right thing to do. Um, that really inspires me. I, you know, I think, uh, Lauren and I have spoken before about the human rights foundation and I have done some things with the human rights foundation, gone to some of their, um, conferences or, you know, when they came down here for South by Southwest, um, I would meet up with these amazing speakers who are human rights fighters around the world from Saudi Arabia, North Korea, China, Hong Kong now, and so forth. And just hanging out with them and just knowing their stories, it's, it's amazing. So those are the people that have become a lighthouse for me. Very cool. You know, Perth, just to quickly follow up, because at, at this event, we were hosting a panel on why ESG and impact investing is taking center stage. Um, and if my memory serves me correctly, we're airing this on Tuesday afternoon and that panel will be tomorrow um, on, oh. Wednesday, on Wednesday. And um, how, how does this, this idea of ESG and impact investing now taking center stage, have, have you been, I mean, this is gonna be maybe probably a silly way to ask this, but I mean, have you been getting more requests to understand life and liberty indexes a little bit more because people are now paying attention more to ESG and impact investing? Yeah, um, I think ESG, the the rise of ESG has helped us to um, to gather interest. Um, I do think though that ESG has a long way to go in that the way we currently do it, we're only looking at securities lo level uh, metrics. So you know the E, the S, and the G, environmental, social, and governance, on the security level only. And um, to me, that doesn't make sense, especially in emerging markets. You can do that in developed markets, and it, it makes a little more sense. But emerging markets are different. 
um, you know, for example, in developed markets, if you're looking at something like diversity, you're looking at, you know, women on boards or maternity leave policies and things like that. In emerging markets, we're looking at, okay, who doesn't get killed for being a girl, for driving, for going to school? You know, so it's a very different situation. And also with ESG metrics, you have to have transparency and reliability of data. And you just don't have that in a lot of these emerging markets. So, um, so yeah, I think ESG has a long way to go, um, has some evolution ahead maybe. And, you know, we, we, we should look at, you know, possibly incorporating some of these, these country level metrics like, like we do here um, into ESG strategies. Because right now ESG, if you look at ESG emerging markets funds, they all have 40% in China as well. So, um, so it's a little bit, a little, you know, a bit of a ESG failure there in my opinion. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, Lauren, do you, do you have any comment on, on some of what Perth is saying? Because like you said, you, the, the foundation looks at uh, global investing in emerging markets as well. Do you care to comment? I mean, I agree with Perth. I think ESG has a, has a long way to go. Um, I think we've seen a tremendous growth in um, ESG investment strategies and people really uh, focusing on ESG because the current administration has really reduced regulation. And so shareholders have really said, okay, we're gonna have to look to the companies to implement these changes themselves. So I think that has a lot to do with the growth we've seen in ESG um, investment strategies and the, the focus that investors are putting on ESG. I mean, I'm the beneficiary of the G part because I serve on um, three boards um, pub of publicly traded companies. So, um, you know, I'm a woman and um, I'm, the, I'm happy to be a beneficiary of that and serve on these boards. And I do think that I add value there. So I think these are all important um, parts of the investment spectrum we need to look at. Um, but it's not one size fit, fits all, as Perth says, you know, 40% in China. Well, <laughs> that, that's, you know, it's questionable. Um, the Templeton Foundation is really focused. They do, they're focused on religious freedom and of course, human rights. Um, they're involved with the humans, human rights foundations foundation, but they're really focused on free markets. So, you know, free markets produce creative thinking, innovation, and really um, support higher growth rates, growth rates, bureaucracies and regulation. Um, so these are the things that produce lower growth rates. So as an investor, that's a really good way of, think of thinking of free markets um, and how they might benefit you. Absolutely. And, and Maya, I want to come to you on this topic as well. Just, you know, real quick, just to get from I don't know if you're millennial. I think it's a Zoomer. I I think I'm right? a month off from being a millennial. Okay, so you're but Gen Z. Gen. Yeah. Okay, so the Gen Z generation. Wow. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> like, what? What's? I mean, from your perspective, when you think about some of these things, you know, as a as a private investor, I mean, have these things started to go through your mind as well more and more as you're looking at potential ideas to invest in? So I think just as a younger person too, um, kind of like what I talked about earlier, I feel this immense power that I haven't really felt in, you know, paying rent and that I have um, this ability to make an impact, um, impact investing ESG, uh, just with my small amounts of money, but still as a young person considering that that small amount you can choose to you know support a company um that's helping the world or versus supporting a company that might be hurting it or hurting the members of the world um and so i yeah i've definitely been thinking about it um 
a lot. And I think right now we just see a whole time for reform and change in a lot of ways. Um, and I think we as young people are um, the people who need to be working on that change, especially because that's the world that we're going to be living in. Um, so as people get into investing, it's important to invest in what you know, but also invest into a world that you would like to see and in companies that you would like to see stick around um, that make positive change. Perfect. Okay. I'm coming right back to you for our next question. Uh, get ready. So um, my next topic, and this is really important to me because it, it, if any, you know, for those who are watching this and also listening in, you know, this is my, not only the first panel I've done where all women investors that are joining me for the podcast are, are women. Um, you know, sadly for myself, I'm sad to admit that I've only had three, now four women on, on my podcast. And, you know, I don't know if that's necessarily indicative of the small micro nano cap space and there not being as many women that are focused in that asset class. But, you know, part of the reason I wanted to put this panel together was to, you know, acknowledge not only that that was some of my shortcomings and wanting to do better, you know, and part of the, this leads to my, I promise there's a question here. And, and the reason I say this is because I, I, I want to know how not only I, but how our, with, within our financial community, nuclear families, really as individuals, how, how can we encourage more women to invest? Not just, I'm not just talking about stock market, but really just in general, because as we said earlier in this, in this panel, the more diversity of thought and the more perspectives that we can have out there when it comes to investing can lead to so many different things, new ideas and new ways in which we can um, potentially all benefit from. So, you know, um, Maya, I'd like to, like to come back with you there. You know, what, what do you think we can do? How can we do better? Um, I think in just finance community and invest, investing community in general, it can sometimes feel like a boys club to the point of just seeing, you know, the depictions of Wall Street of just being men, men, men in their suits um, to the little things of just using sports analogies to get things across. And personally, I've learned more in ballet than I probably would have ever learned in football. Um, but that can be different for some people. Uh, but really just to appeal, like you said, to all of those different perspectives. Um, similar to Lauren, I really benefited from having uh, simple conversations from a young age that introduced me to this vocabulary. So the things that would have intimidated me, like not knowing what certain words meant, um, didn't just because from a young age, we would have dinner conversations because both of my parents um, are entrepreneurs and their or their parents were as well and their parents also. So I've benefited from a long line of business people. Um, and so I think from the family sense that having, um, making it a common thing of like walking down the street and if you're interested in getting them into investing, pointing out companies that they could invest in, um, or, you know, just talking about it at the dinner table or having uh, portfolio competitions, making it an approachable idea. Um, and then for women, I think it's an important to realize that you, deserve your spot that you have just as much ability as any other person um and to have the confidence in yourself and know that you deserve a spot on this team on this board on whatever it is um because i know as a younger woman sometimes it can feel like intimidating to be younger and a woman um surrounded by some older men um and feel that i might not have that as much experience and especially for women who 
might want to get into it later in their career too, um, that that's always an option. Absolutely, thank you for that, Maya. And, and Lauren, same question, how, how can we do better? You know, it's a good question. I'm actually not really sure. I used to run a program at the University of Tennessee at Chattanooga focused on value investing, and that program was supported by a female hedge fund manager um, that has a, um, her name is Renee Halgerud, but she wanted to create, she had come out of Cargill and she wanted to create a program just for women. Of course, you can't do that at a state university to have a program just for women and investing. But it was a program that I ran that was focused on women and investing, but men could enroll to take the class if they wanted. And we had more students than female students. It was really hard to get female students to sign up for these classes. In the uh, you know, business uh, school, you had more women sign up for marketing classes than you did for the finance classes. So it, it's a challenge, but what I tell everybody is, and it's the same advice my dad gives me, you cannot opt out of the money game in life. You cannot, you are always going to deal with money. You will always you know, deal with it. You're gonna have to make decisions. You're gonna have to learn to be responsible with money. You're gonna have to learn to invest it or at least be knowledgeable enough to hire somebody to invest it for you. And you need to understand it, whether you pursue it as a career or not. So there's no way to opt out of the money game. And if you, if you don't learn about it, then, you know, you're really, you're really setting yourself up to be, um, to really um, rely on other people who may or may not have your best interest at heart. So I think everybody should learn about money, finance, and how to manage it. And if they want to pursue it as a career, great. And if they don't, they can just manage their own portfolios or at least hire people knowledgeably to do it for them. Sorry, I had to write that down. That's just like, that's, that's going on my wall. I, you cannot opt out of the money game in life. That is just says yeah. it all right there. Um, and, and Perth, same question to you. You know, what, what, how, how can we do better? Yeah. Um, it, so, so I'm looking at Lauren and, and just, I'm so inspired, sorry, Maya and Lauren. Um, and I just, I'm, I'm so like energized by her, um, just the way that her confidence. So, you know, I don't know if that comes from age or the, you know, just, you know, being that young, but, um, I remember, you know, that time and I just, I think we should continue to encourage young people. Um, I did a uh, I did a, a guest lecture at Baylor University um, last year, and it was like the highlight of my year. And I and I launched the fund last year, so you know one of the highlights of my year, I guess. So you know, just being around young people, just I think being around positivity, whether it's young people or just other people that that um, encourage you in the way that they see the world. It, it, there's there's so much negativity. Like if women can look at ourselves as oh we're such you know like so disadvantaged in the industry because there's nobody you know we're the only ones or you know sometimes we come from a perspective of um lack instead of a perspective of abundance so you know um for example we think well there's only room for one woman at the table so i have to be fighting for that space when that's not true there's room for 50 percent of that table to be women and until it's 50 percent women there's room for more so we're you know and there's a lot of women's organizations and things like that um, that sometimes 
you know, do the opposite. Like now, then now you're excluding men. So <laughs> that's not what we want. We don't want to use men as our benchmark, as our baseline. We want, you know, we're different, and that's what makes us powerful. You know, the differences between men and women are what makes each of us powerful. So we have to embrace those and celebrate them. Um, be around people who are positive about it. And uh, and I think there's looking at the next generation. I think we're in good hands. That is, that's for sure. I, I, just based on this panel alone, I think we're, we're, <laughs> we're, we, I think we should all feel very good about the next generation and, and also what can be done with the current generations as well. Um, yeah. Cause there's a, definitely a lot that can be done. All right. So this is my now, this is my favorite question to ask on every single podcast in Perth. I'm coming right back to you on this one. You know, what investing experience would you say has impacted you the most thus far in your career? It's always the drawdowns, right? Um, <laughs> or the mistakes. So, so one of the mistakes that I made early on in this um, in this venture is, um, you know, I I sometimes with indexing we 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 don't look as deep into the each of the companies we're investing in as we possibly should, um, or consider things that from every angle. And when you have detractors or haters, you know, on the internet or wherever, um, sometimes they provide really good advice, even despite the messenger. So um, it's good to sometimes even listen to that. But now not everyone, there are some crazy people out there. Um, and everyone has their bias. So you have to watch for that as well. Um, but one of the things that was pointed out to me um, in the very beginning was, hey, you're including a company called Naspers. It's in South Africa. South Africa is in the fund. So that's why it's in there. But the entire market cap of Naspers is coming from their investment in Tencent. And so are you really investing in Tencent? And which is, you know, a company that in China that um, that has, you know, an app called WeChat, which is used for government surveillance for mass mass surveillance tech. Um, so so I asked some people that I whose opinions I respect, some investors, and uh, most people said, no, we don't care. You know, you, you're not. We understand that you're not punishing countries for free trade. You're not punishing them for investment in other countries. And sometimes that's going to happen. You can't eliminate all indirect China exposure. Um, and then we had some human rights activists who are who are not investors and who are very poor who told me, um, look, you know, we don't want to invest in. We would not want to invest in surveillance tech. So um, I realized through that experience who I was making this for, and I'm making it for those people that deep down believe in freedom and are investing in this for the for the for that reason. And um, and I and I changed uh, course, and I um, you know we created a rule that systematically uh, eliminates companies like that. So um, so so I think learning from your mistakes, even though sometimes in the ETF world all of your holdings are public. Um, you know, and, and nowadays with social media, all, a lot of your conversations are public with your, with your, you know, with the public. So with the investing public. So, so it can be hard to, to navigate and to, to try to, you know, not um, try to care about your own kind of how you look in the eyes of everyone instead of, okay, am I really doing the best thing for my investors here? So, so um, I think learning through to take criticism was a, a very impactful thing for me and um, to learn from that and, and come out with a better product as a result. Awesome. I love that. <laughs> so, and, and Lauren, same question. What investing experience would you say impacted you the most thus far in your career? Well, I'm a lot older than my in Perth, so I have made so many mistakes. I can't even remember a good many of them. <laughs> um, 
so I've got two, two examples. One is when I was pretty early in my career. I just graduated from college and I was working as a junior associate at a financial planning firm. And one of the associates there gave me a hot stock tip. And I called my dad and I borrowed some money from him to buy the stock. And he didn't ask any questions. He said, sure, you know, here's the money. So I bought the stock. And I called him a few months later and said, dad, I've, I've lost the money. And uh, he said, fantastic. <laughs> and I said, I don't know. I said, I lost the money. Like it's gone. The money's gone. And he said, great. That's exactly what I wanted to happen. And I said, what are you talking about? You know, I borrowed this money from you. And he said, well, I, I wanted you to learn that there was no such thing in life as a, as a free hot tip. There's no free, free lunch for anybody. And if you had been successful, that would have been a very dangerous <laughs> example for you to learn. But now you've learned a lesson. Don't ever do it again. It was worth the $5,000 or whatever he loaned me. He said that was, you know, definitely worth the money. So that made um, a big impact on me. And then just as an investor, I think really methodically going in and buying stock every single day in the great financial crisis. Um, I remember that crisis so well, I think because I was pregnant, maybe I had like all these hormones and I don't know what, what it was doing to my brain, but you know, I felt like the world was coming to an end and I was going to have a baby. I remember telling my husband, just make sure they don't run out of epidurals. Like for sure. That's what I want. <laughs> Um, but every day I would go in and buy stocks and, and really, you know, I'd grown up in this value investing camp. I, before that, um, I said all the right things. I'd read all the right books. You know, I'd, I'd been managing money for a long time before that. This was like the first really big crisis where I was managing a large amount of money. And it is really hard as a human being to control your emotions. It's, it's really something you need to focus on when it comes to investing. People are not hardwired to be good investors. I speak about this a lot. We are naturally not good investors. It's very hard to go in and buy during a market sell-off for many different reasons, some of them biological. So just the process of going in and buying stocks every single day and then reaping the reward from that years later and the returns for our clients really impacted me. Um, now I was well on my way before the great financial crisis with a lot of, you know, there's always a crisis, whether it's in an industry or a stock. So I had navigated quite a few scenarios, but that was the largest one. And it's just a reminder to me that really you distinguish your returns in bear markets. The actions you personally make in a bear market is really what distinguishes your returns, I believe. And it's in, in managing money through that crisis really impacted me very greatly. So I, I look forward to these events because they're the way I distinguish myself from my competitors. It, it's so hard to have that contrarian mindset. Like it's one of those things that just... Uh, you either have it or it's really got to be learned. You, know? you can learn it. You can oh, learn it. Sure. But you have to put the money to work and reap the rewards and let your brain, uh, you know, um, there's a process called plasticity where your brain can kind of reshape <laughs> itself, so to say. And you have to reap the rewards from putting money to work during those time periods. So, you know, we hire in, lots of smart people 
And it's really interesting. There are some of these people on Wall Street, they're really well read. They can tell you all the great things. They quote Warren Buffett, they quote Sir John Templeton, they can build a discounted cash flow model, 10 ways to Sunday, uh, model this, model that. But boy, when it comes to a really scary event on the market, they want to go to cash. You know, it is, it's amazing. It is a mindset. And if you don't have it naturally, and I think very few people do, honestly, Sir John probably didn't really have it naturally. I think he's, he was so disciplined and worked on cultivating that. And so anybody can do it. It just takes wanting to do it and the discipline to do it. Absolutely. And I, and I have a feeling that when we do our individual interview for the podcast, I think we could probably do a whole episode just on contrarian investing. So I'll leave that topic right there. And I invite people to, hopefully if you come back on, I hope you enjoy your experience with me. So I, I do hope that we'll do one at a later date, but I digress. Maya, what, what, what investing experience would you say impacted you the most in your career thus far? Um, one that happened early on was just investing in Mattel and learning very quickly that I had to look more about um, the qualitative aspects of the company than the quantitative. I had my little checklist of what numbers I was looking for. And if I checked the boxes, I felt that the company was good. And that was the first stock I in, ever invested in. Um, and I learned very quickly that if there's an iPhone coming out and kids have this new tech that they can play with, that they're probably not going to want to play with Barbie dolls just as much. Um, and I'm, I think the thing that's really impacted me the most is attending shareholders meetings. Um, I'm lucky to live on the East Coast, so things are pretty close and uh, next to Boston and New York. And so I've had a lot of opportunities to just kind of drop in and shareholder, shareholder meetings. Um, and from smaller ones, you can learn, you can really feel like a part owner in the company um, and get a sense of how shareholder friendly um, the people that are actually running it are. And so I think that that's just really impacted me as an investor um, to get a feel for the company. No, I agree with Maya. These shareholder meetings are very important. Lawrence Cunningham has a great book out called Quality Shareholders. Um, it's about attracting quality shareholders and what a business can do to attract them. And the annual shareholders meeting is super important. I run into Maya at Berkshire Hathaway occasionally. I've taken my daughter twice to Berkshire Hathaway. That is a great, um, that is a great meeting for a child to learn about investing because they can go in, you know, the 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 room where they have all all of well not all but a lot of Berkshire Hathaway companies. So. You know, my child can eat a Dairy Queen Dilly Bar. She can go get some Justin Cowboy boots. She can pose with a little Geico thing. And she really understands the different businesses. I mean, from a, the eyes of a child, it's, it's a great opportunity. And I've been meaning to write Warren Buffett and say, you need to um, have something at your annual shareholders meeting more focused towards children. Um, that you have this great opportunity here because you look around um, the, the room during the meeting and there are lots of kids there mm -hmm. whose parents have brought them to that meeting to learn. So I think maybe having a, a breakout room designed just for kids could be very impactful. And then the other thing I would like to see is I took my daughter to Disney World and she was a shareholder. And um, I said, well, you know, just call Disney and ask if they have somebody in shareholder services, um, if they have something like that at Disney World where they can kind of walk you around the park and talk to you about the business. 
Um, and Disney, you know, they were like, gosh, this woman's crazy. We don't have anything for kids. Like <laughs> I'm like, well, why not? That is a huge That's a great idea to yeah. attract quality long-term shareholders. You've got all these kids that own the stock. <laughs> You know, they should be able to call up their Disney shareholder rep and, um, you know, get kid-friendly Disney shareholder material, and um, they should have a booth like that at their parks. I think it's a fabulous idea. That's a great idea. <laughs> I have a friend in California who was spending so much money on his Disney passes that he ended up buying Disney for that purpose. He was like, I'm going to make money off this because I'm spending too much here. <laughs> so yeah. that's a great idea. Wouldn't what it be? So it'd be such yeah. a great way for kids to learn. Mm -hmm. yeah. I'll, I'll tell you this. As someone who loves to order off the children's menu at restaurants, I would like that. <laughs> I'm, I'm just saying. Yeah. So, <laughs> so, so we're, we're there for, for our interview, or sorry, for, for the podcast panel here. So my last question to everyone is, what advice do you have for women looking to start investing? And then, of course, uh, please... Uh, leave us where everybody can go and find more information about you and, and to follow you on, on social media. So uh, let's go, we'll go clockwise. So uh, Perth, let's start with you. Yeah, I think uh, do it with purpose. You know, like, like we've been reiterating here, um, your, the way that you direct your money has consequences and you know, you have power in that and with that comes responsibility. So do, a, I'm going to Marie Kondo this, do it in a way that gives you joy, invest in, in what gives you joy. And uh uh, you know, as far as where to find me, um, our website is lifeandlibertyindexes.com. Our fun site is freedometfs.com. And I'm on Twitter at, at Perth underscore toll. Awesome. Thank you, Perth. And thank you to Perth's Zoom for, for working through this whole hour. I'm very yeah. happy about that. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and Lauren, please. Um, yeah, my advice is to not overthink it, to just start. Um, so don't get too caught up in everything. Just open up an account at Charles Schwab or Fidelity and buy a stock. That's the first step. <laughs> and once you have real money at work, even if it's just $100, I mean, that's where the real learning begins. So don't overthink it. Don't try to get everything perfect and organized and plan out your career and buy all the books and do all of that. Just start. Like today, go online, fill out your account form, open an account, put some money in it and buy a stock. You may lose the money, uh, but you're gonna learn a lot and the money that you lose will, will be worth it. Um, so I just, I think people way overthink it when it comes to money and investing and they end up just never doing it because it's so overwhelming when really it's the first step that's most important and they just need to go do it. Agreed. And where can everybody go and follow you on social media? Oh, yeah. So website. I'm on I'm on Twitter, LC Templeton, and um, our website is templetonandphillips.com. So we have a great um, letter called the Maximum Pessimism Report that people enjoy reading. We try to put a lot of really good information in there about stocks that we like or the way we view the market. Um, and, you know, I'm pretty active on Twitter, so that's a good place to follow us, too, for updates on the business or for market insights. Yeah, before we get to Maya, we need to get everybody who's on this panel's Twitter account up. They, they deserve way more followers than they currently have. They should be in, like, the hundreds of thousands, if not millions already. So can we, can we please, all right, if you're listening, let's, let's go. Let's get them up. All right, so Maya, please uh, uh, close us out here. 
Um, I think my tip would be that women shouldn't have to ask for permission um, or to think that, like Lauren said, that they would have to be perfect. There's been so many studies about women who won't apply for jobs because they only meet nine out of the 10 requirements for the job and men who meet five out of 10 still apply. Um, or other ones where when women take tests, they'll score the same as men. And then the second they have to check their confidence on their um, the questions that they answer, they'll immediately score lower because they're doubting their ability to answer those questions. And I just think that if you invest in small amounts of money um, confidently uh, and do your research that you shouldn't have to ask permission, you shouldn't have to feel like you're gonna be perfect. I mean, I think we've all shown that we make mistakes um, and the important thing is to learn from them and there's no way that you're not going to make a mistake. Um, you can find me at Compounding Snowballs is my blog. My Twitter is Finding Moats. Um, and then my two books are Early Bird, The Power of Investing Young, and Lighthouse, Women Leading the Way in Finance. Amazing. Amazing. All right. Well, thank you all so much for joining me. This has been a ton of fun for me. I, I look forward to the next time that we can all chat. And uh, stay safe. Good luck. Um, I'll just thank you. This was a lot of fun. Thank awesome. you. Thank you.